Live 5 News reported on September 25th that at least 416 businesses have closed across the city of Charleston. Mayor Tecklenburg and the city council created a special commission to boost revitalization of business, and it's called the Central Business District Improvement Commission. Rebuilding, it's uh, on the forefront of all our minds, rebuilding businesses, rebuilding schools, rebuilding families, rebuilding lives, and yes, even rebuilding churches. In many ways, it feels like the church in America has been broken down, but the Lord will revitalize. The Lord will bring back to life. The Lord will rebuild. What will he rebuild? Through us. See, the church, not just ours, but in general, we have all of these these broken pieces, and now we have an opportunity to put them back together in a different way, prayerfully, a, a better way, a way that maybe would have never occurred to us apart from experiencing a worldwide pandemic and widespread social and political unrest. We've changed. All these things have changed us, and we have an opportunity now to ask ourselves some questions. Who are we now? What do we value now? What do we believe is really important now for for ourselves and for those we love? What does our teetering, reeling culture need that only we as the church can provide, and how should we provide it? How do we effectively make disciples? How do we even define what a disciple is now? Listen, I can only speak for myself, and I do speak for myself when I say I am incredibly excited about church ministry right now. I am so excited about the possibilities because I read history, and history tells me that in moments like these, moments like the ones we're experiencing right now, in these moments, the true church of Jesus Christ shone most brightly and looked most beautiful. As believers in Christ, without fear, ministered the hope and the help of the good news of Jesus Christ, not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, because the Lord has granted to you and to me yet another Lord's Day, I can fulfill my promise of last week, which was to return to Zechariah chapter 4 this morning and to talk about what it means to live by my spirit, because we have to know as believers in Christ what it means to live by the Spirit of God. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to ask you to turn uh, to Zechariah chapter 4 on your phone. If not, it's printed in your bulletin for you. Wherever you find Zechariah 4, uh, if you will stand so we might hear read together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. 
And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we love your word, how we thank you for speaking to us through your word, for preserving it for us. Lord, how we thank you and rejoice in your Holy Spirit who takes the truth of this word and and gives us understanding of it. We pray now, Lord, that that's what would happen, that you would fulfill your promise to bless the reading and the hearing of uh, your word and that your word and your spirit would intersect in our hearts and change us, transform us, Lord, So we are different people, people who look more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, by my spirit. What does that look like? Now, if I were Zerubbabel, And by the way, I say Zerubbabel, you say Zerubbabel, but let's not call the whole thing off. Zerubbabel, he's a man, he's responsible for getting this mountain of debris cleared away from the temple mount. He's the man who is responsible for rebuilding the temple. The man who is responsible for rebuilding a temple whose template is the old temple, which was one of the wonders of the ancient world and the expectations of the people who are doing the rebuilding. Now, if I got a message like this, I think I would have mixed feelings about it. First, I think I would feel elation to hear this message of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. I would be elated to know that God is with me. I would be elated to know that God is watching me. I would be elated to know that God is speaking to me. I would be elated to know that God is working on my behalf to accomplish the work that he has called me to do. How can those realities not elate the soul? And I pray those realities elate your soul. God is with you. God is watching you. God is speaking to you through his word. God is at work even right now by his spirit on your behalf to enable you to accomplish the things that he's called you to do, those realities should elate our souls. But along with the elation, I believe that I would also feel a great deal of uncertainty with this message, not by might or by power, but by my spirit. And I think if it were me, if I were Zerubbabel, I think, like, I think I would go back to Zechariah and say, you know, Zechariah, when God gave you that message, did he say anything else? Did, did he give you any more? Did he, did he tell you anything about what it might mean but by my spirit? Because I don't know what to do with that. And Zerubbabel has a lot to do. Again, the mountain of debris to remove the temple to build with his ragtag team of returning exiles. Does by my spirit 
mean that the people are going to stand and watch as stones are levitated in the air, timbers are levitated in the air and moved to the side? Does it mean they're going to pull their robes around them more tightly when the Spirit of God blows away all the char and the ash and the remaining debris? Are they going to watch then as as stones levitate and timbers levitate back in the air and they come together and they form the temple of God? Is that what by my spirit means? Now, make no mistake about it. The God who spoke the Son into existence could have done it that way. It would be pretty spectacular, wouldn't it? But, But we know that's not what God is going to do here. So in light of this promise by my spirit, what's Zerubbabel supposed to do? And I found that that's usually what interests us most as believers. What is it that we are supposed to do? And that's a good desire to have, to want to do things, because much needs to be done in this world. I was reading uh, a quote from a pastor from an interview this week. And he said, one of my professors said, to be a Christian, to be born again, and to claim the Holy Spirit is to have a quarrel with the world's systems of injustice. And if whatever, claim, and what, if whatever you claim you have doesn't produce a quarrel with injustice, then your claim of it being the Spirit with a big S is suspect. And listen, I could not agree more. If the Spirit of God within us is grieved whenever he sees made in the image of God people treated wrongly, badly, unfairly, unequally, then we should be grieved as well. We ought to have a quarrel with that. And we should want to do something to correct that injustice. And we also ought to be aware that injustice is everywhere. Do you know that? Injustice is everywhere. There is injustice in your home, with your spouse, with your children, with your roommate, with your neighbor. And it needs to be fixed because Jesus calls us to do, to act, to rectify injustice. But here's the thing. Before we do, we have to be. Before we do, we have to be. The doing comes from the being. And if we aren't being, then we have no resources for the doing. If you and I aren't being, then we have no resources for the doing. But we attempt to do anyway. And then what happens with the doing? The rebuilding. It tires us. It bores us. It frustrates us. It makes us angry or resentful or bitter. Now, unless I miss my educated guess, after 27 years in pastoral ministry, I would guess that all of you all have experienced some or most or even all of those feelings as you've been about doing the work of the Lord. But none of those feelings is in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. They're not there along joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and all the rest. So if we're experiencing them, we may not be doing things by the Spirit. And so in our remaining time this morning, I'm going to make two observations about what by my Spirit uh, means. Two observations about what by my Spirit means. And Lord willing, 
I hope to make a lot more observations this morning, but you know the rest of that story. Uh, Next week, we'll have more. The first observation is this. By my spirit means that we must be self-aware. In order to live by my spirit, you and I have to be self-aware. We've got to know who we are. So picture Zerubbabel now. And here he is. He's standing beside this um, mountain of rubble. The, The temple is in ruins. And imagine... Imagine the helplessness he must feel at the task in front of him. It must overwhelm him, and I believe I can say that safely, because if Zerubbabel were not overwhelmed, then God would not have sent him this message of encouragement in the midst of being overwhelmed. But I think that God wants Zerubbabel and you and me to see more than physical stones and physical timbers, when we're looking out across the broken pieces of the temple. I believe that this is a moment for Zerubbabel and for us to look at ourselves. This broken down temple, it's a picture of who we are. We are the rubble. We are the broken. And we have to look at squarely at that reality. We have to face it. We have to embrace it. We can't turn away from it before you and I are ready to to do anything or, or rebuild in anybody else. God wants us to look at our own brokenness. In fact, if we don't look upon the broken pieces, you know what? Then we can't see the glory of God. If we don't look at our brokenness, we can't comprehend the, the, the grace of God, how are we going to be motivated to do anything meaningful or to rebuild if it isn't for God's glory and by his grace? And God's glory and God's grace, they shine brightest in the rubble of brokenness. In an instant, sin broke Adam and Eve along with all of creation. Romans chapter 8 tells us that creation even now groans, it longs to be set free from its bondage to corruption, brokenness. But there in the garden, in the immediate aftermath of the brokenness and rubble caused by sin, was God's first promise of the gospel. God says to Satan, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The coming one will crush the head of Satan. There's brokenness, but he will be struck in the process. There's brokenness, but through the brokenness, God will redeem, restore, renew, rebuild because God's glory And grace shine in brokenness. And how was that garden promise fulfilled? Through more brokenness. Christ beaten, crucified for us. Jesus says, destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it again. And he did. He was resurrected in three days. But first he was stricken, smitten, afflicted bruised, oppressed, pierced, crushed. In other words, Jesus was broken. God ordained that he would work through brokenness to bring wholeness. God ordained 
that he would work through brokenness to bring wholeness. And perhaps that's why we hate looking at or admitting to our own brokenness. Because you know this sentence, whatever God ordains, Satan what? Yeah. Whatever God ordains, Satan opposes. God ordained that he would restore through brokenness. God ordained that he would renew through brokenness. Psalm 147, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And that is to his goodness and glory and grace that he can and that he does. And why does he do it? Because he is so good and so loving. Now you see, here's the thing. The enemy, our enemy, did not see that coming. He thought God would hate the brokenness. He thought God would reject his creation because they were broken, but God rebuilt out of the brokenness. He redeemed, he restored, he renewed. He used brokenness to display his glory and his grace. And so Satan comes back, tries to take brokenness back, to make it ugly, to make it shameful. He whispers, shame, shame. Look at you. Look how broken you are. Hide it, hide it. Don't let anyone see it. And in so doing, he thinks he'll rob God of his glory in rebuilding the broken. And we play into our enemy's hands. We play into Satan's hands when we deny that we are broken. I hope some of y'all prayed for Todd Christian this week. On the prayer channel, you know, he got that very, very significant cut on his arm. And thank the Lord it was far less bad than it could have been. But Friday night after our our youth event, uh, Todd was right out there on the sidewalk and he was showing us uh, his arm and the cut that went from here all the way down to here. And he was showing us all the stitches that the doctor uh, had used. Now, why was he showing off? Why was Todd showing us uh, that not attractive (laughs) uh, procedure? Because Todd might not be among us right now, if it hadn't been for the doctor putting him back together. And so Todd was saying, look, look at what the doctor did for me. I'm alive. I'm put back together. And that's why he showed us. We rob God of the glory that belongs to him for putting us back together, for keeping us together when we don't acknowledge our rubble and our complete brokenness. And when we do not look on our brokenness, then we go off to be And then we go off to do independently, and there's no help, and there's no hope for us in that. What we read it this morning, Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. We were completely crushed by sin. We weren't comatose. No, we were flatline. We were dead. We were helpless to help ourselves. We were helpless to give lives to ourselves or to put ourselves back together. Only God could help us. Only God could rebuild out of the brokenness. And we will never be free from brokenness on this side of heaven. Do you believe that? We're never going to be free from sin. So, because we are broken, we must also be dependent Because we are broken, we must be dependent. 
And so I would observe firstly, that by my spirit means we recognize our brokenness and our dependence. That's what Zerubbabel needed to understand as he stood behind the broken temp- beside the broken temple. It's what we need to understand as we look at the ways that sin has broken our lives and the lives of others. We can't fix ourselves. We can't put back the pieces of our brokenness. We must know who we are. Broken, dependent people before we attempt to do anything for anyone else because the humility and the gratitude that comes with the realization of who we are must completely transform what we do for others. We are not superior to. We are one like them. We're not condescendingly offering them something that we don't need first for ourselves. Who wants to go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and be led by someone who's never took a drink of alcohol in their lives. This is why we must be first so that we do with more grace and love and compassion for the glory of God. And when we know who we are in God's rebuilding process of us, our expectations of the rebuilding process in the lives of others, is transformed. Our timeline for rebuilding is offered, altered, because rarely does it happen in an instant. And that brings me to my second observation about what by my spirit means. It means that in addition to being dependent, we also have to be available. We have to be dependent. We have to be available. We have to show up every day. Why do you think God doesn't define what he means here? He could have defined, he could have delineated what by my spirit means, but he did not. Why? I don't know. But I know the result of not knowing. The result of not knowing means that Zerubbabel is going to have to show up every single day to find out what by my spirit means. Every day. Here I am, Lord, today. Jesus said to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. We can't predict when or where or in whom or what or the how of the spirit of God. We we can't know what that is. We can't plan ahead for it. We just have to show up and be available. Not to confuse you with another Bible story. I'm going to confuse you with another Bible story because it's so uh, uh, illustrative of, of, of who we are, of how much we don't want to show up every day. You know this story. God's people are in the wilderness. They're hungry. They don't have anything to eat. And so God sends them manna from heaven. God says, collect what you need for this day. Apparently some people, uh, that wasn't what they wanted to hear. They, they didn't want to show up every day, so they thought they would collect enough for more than one day. So then, you know, they wouldn't have to show up. And so they did. But they got a big surprise the next morning when they reached for the manna to make their manna McMuffin. They discovered that it stank. P-U. And that it had grown worms. Maggots. Because God said, show up every day. That's what he requires of you and of me and of his people. Zerubbabel showed up, but it wasn't easy. 
the nations that surrounded Jerusalem did not want the temple to be rebuilt. Scripture says that the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. And they wrote letters of accusations against the people of Jerusalem. And one such letter was sent by this huge group of people, judges, governors, officials, Persians, the men of Erech, the men of Susa, the rest of the nations who settled in the cities of Samaria and in the rest of the provinces beyond the river. That is a tsunami of powerful people. And they have formulated their own narrative. One that they think will accomplish their purpose and give them power. And so they send this letter to King Artaxerxes. And I'm going to read you an excerpt of the letter they send. And now, be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to us have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt, they, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. <coughs> Excuse me. Always follow the money, man. Always follow the money. Because uh, conviction and truth go to the wayside when money's involved. Anyway, it's not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor. Therefore, we send and inform the king In order that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers, you will find in the book of the records and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and provinces, and that sedition was stirred up in it from old. That was why this city was laid waste. We make it known to the king that if the city is rebuilt, you will then have no possession in the province beyond the river. Now, what is the the truth, really? At least up until the very end, God's people were not rebellious enough. They looked at other nations in fear instead of claiming their identity as children of the one and only true and living all-powerful God. Instead of doing that, they, they trembled, they acquiesced, they became vassals, they paid tribute, they even began to worship the gods of the other nations. And it was for that reason and that kind of unfaithfulness that God sent them into captivity. Now, that's the truth. But the truth was suppressed, the lies worked, the letter achieved its purpose. King Artaxerxes put a halt to the building of the temple. Now, what could Zerubbabel do against the false narrative of these powerful politicians? He could do this. Keep showing up. And that's what Zerubbabel did. Though he succumbed briefly to the government shutdown, he put aside his fear and he started rebuilding the temple again. And guess what? Another letter was written. And this letter was sent to Artaxerxes' successor, King Darius. And this letter sought to find out who authorized the building of this temple. Well, guess what? King Darius found out. He discovered that the temple had been commissioned by King Cyrus, and so he ordered the temple to be rebuilt. Now, you ready? Oh, here comes the really good Spirit of God part 
of the story. This is the king's response to those who wrote the letter. Now, therefore, Tatnai, governor, uh, and your associates and the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. (laughs) Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. I can't help but laugh. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. You pay for it. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, oil, or wine as the priests of Jerusalem require, let it be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. (laughs) Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it and his house shall be made a dunghill, a pile of poop. May the God who caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. Woo, just want to do a dance at that. Can you believe it? It's not even believable. How unexpected. With uh, the stroke of a pen... This seemingly all-powerful, unstoppable opposition is cast aside. The false narrative is exposed. The false narrative is crushed. The temple of God can be built, and God's people don't even have to pay for it themselves. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Who would have thought? Who would have imagined? Zerubbabel just had to show up every day. He worked, he built, even when he was ordered not to. And all the while, the Spirit of God was accomplishing what Zerubbabel never could have done by his own might and power. Those against him were stronger than he was, but he kept showing up, kept doing what he could do, which was to keep the work going. By my spirit means showing up every day. We don't get to know the details of what. We just get to know how. By my spirit. That takes faith. Showing up every day. Not knowing exactly what that day might look like, but trusting the spirit with it. Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow. Show up today. Trust Jesus today. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He'll feed you today. He'll sustain you today. He'll nourish you and strengthen you today. You show up and trust him. Show up to your life. Show up to your marriage, your parenting, your singleness, your friendships. Show up to your neighbors. Show up at your job. Show up completely 
all of you, and trust Jesus to be at work by his spirit. You have no idea what he has planned, nor does he want you to know. By my spirit means being available to the spirit's agenda for us. By my spirit means being independent. This is what we must be before we do anything well. But when we are these things, when we are dependent, when we are available, watch out, right? How exciting to see what rebuilding the Lord will do in us and through us, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these stories of your work in human history. They remind us, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We could in faithlessness look back and say, oh, that was then, that's how you did it uh, then, but now it's different. Now is not different, Lord. Uh, the, the rubble, the brokenness that we experience, the, uh, the, the forces around us and our culture that's, that seem unstoppable, that seem uh, overpowering, we, we feel like we are mute. We can't even get a whisper out above the roar uh, of the deceit and the lies, and we think all is lost except for by my spirit. Lord, I pray that you would use this story to give us great faith and hope and courage in what you can do, the uh, unexpected and even the unbelievable in our lives. Lord, as you put us back together, there may be people here this morning who have given up hope that they can be made well or be made whole or, or that the broken pieces could ever be put back together. Father, I pray that you would abolish that thought and that lie. Because by your spirit, Lord, that's what you do. You rebuild brokenness. So fill us with hope. Fill us with hope for others so that all of us, Lord, might be dependent not on ourselves but on you. And, Lord, make us available. Lord, we are so often unavailable. We kind of let you know when we will be available to you, uh, when our schedule permits, when our time permits allows. Lord, we have to be available to you and to the work of your spirit all day, every day, no matter what it is we're doing. We're available to you, your agenda, the work of your spirit. Make us be those kind of people, Lord, uh, brokenly dependent and always available. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.